From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. So we have uh, on the show, you may have heard her before, uh, Yaffa Frederick. She is a, uh, a media personality, uh, and she's going to be chatting to us about Martin Luther King. Yaffa, welcome to the show. Nice to have you with you on the Blue, New Blue Review. Thank you for having me back. So... You, know, you you have a few of these in in America, like days which are kind of important to people. Some of which are like less important. Like I don't know if anyone does anything on Veterans Day or Memorial Day uh, across the whole population, but I, I get the feeling that people do take MLK Day quite seriously in the states. We take all of our federal holidays uh, quite seriously, mostly because we don't have as many as you do here. Um, but MLK Day is actually one of our youngest holidays. Uh, so it only became a, a, an official federal holiday in 1986 when Ronald Reagan was president, though states and municipalities had been celebrating it um, prior to that. But it is a significant moment because, uh, like in South Africa, the story of racism is a defining story in the United States. And having a day to kind of reflect on what we've accomplished and who has been at the forefront of those accomplishments, particularly someone like Martin Luther King Jr., who used civil disobedience uh, as his main mechanism of protest, is particularly significant, um, and I would say particularly significant in America right now when uh, the issue of race seems to be a daily discussion point. Yeah, it is uh, quite interesting that, uh, that it should be uh, right now and that it is such a young holiday. I, I remember watching an interesting movie of, of like the widows of, of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, uh, and they were kind of instrumental in trying to get um, this day on the on the calendar because, of course, he was you know assassinated. Yeah, in 1968 in Memphis, Tennessee, in cold blood. I mean, it's it's it was a bloody year for the United States that year. Um, it was the same year that uh, Kennedy's brother was assassinated. Um, Obviously, there was Malcolm X, and just a few years prior, John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. It kind of reflected the times in the United States in the 1960s where even if you were a proponent of civil disobedience, the way King was, um, a lot of the people in the general public were fighting against the change that was happening in the country and were willing to use force to fight that change. Now, if you're an old-school American... Uh, you know. I wonder what that means. Uh, I'll explain now, but like, so, maybe it just mean like an old American. If, if, <laughs> you, you often will see this picture on, on people's, uh, mantelpiece. And it's the picture of, um, Mon- is it the Montgomery Bridge and uh, Martin Luther King and he's marching Selma. across Selma, not Montgomery, excuse me. Uh, and, and he's marching across and next to him is, uh, R- Rabbi Heschel. Uh, and in some pictures, you even see him carrying a Torah mm-hmm. uh, and all sorts of things. And that's like very much, I think, an American jury. It's it it holds the same place as like the time that Nelson Mandela pitched up at like some Jewish kids' bar mitzvah, you yeah. know. And 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 it's like a big moment. It is, but it, I mean. Rabbi Heschel was kind of the culmination of Jewish activism for civil rights. When you look at the early civil rights movement um, in the late 50s and the early 1960s, who were the white folk that were going down to Montgomery, Alabama and sitting at Woolworth's counters with black folk and then getting ripped from it? Who were the ones on the ACLU buses going down there? You, you notice the names immediately all sound like Goldberg and Goldstein, and it's not a coincidence. Jews were a core part of the civil rights movement, and so the idea that a rabbi would kind of lock arms with the civil rights leader actually makes a lot of sense historically. And and it's, it's also interesting because it's also s- that relationship sort of collapsed 
well, not collapsed, but over time it sort of took a, a, a big hit uh, because different things started to affect how uh, you know people were were engaging uh, with one another. The issues of of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, mm. uh, economic issues, whatever, and also people like Malcolm Hicks who didn't take such a kind view to Correct. well, not just Jews but white people really being yeah. a part of the civil rights movement itself. Yeah, and you know, I mean, it's interesting to debate what role Malcolm X played in the civil rights movement. Um, but certainly you had the Nation of Islam. You have characters like Louis Farrakhan who are still around today and still spewing some really anti-Semitic things, both online and uh, in real life. Um, and there was a divide. And I think one of the issues that both black Americans and Jewish Americans kind of contend with is um, the idea that you can have a civil rights leader who does tremendous things for the African-American community, but is also an anti-Semite. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the same time, I think Jews who are white and benefit from being white in America, but also can be the recipients of white supremacy. And it's these two things that kind of coexist. Um, but I think that the reality today, you know, obviously the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and the number of, um, you know, Nation of Islam followers uh, in the United States plays into it. But I, I really do think socioeconomics drives a lot of this debate because you have seen Jews overall do very well for themselves, get the best educations, go into professional positions. Um, and a lot of African-Americans still struggle to, get, to meet that threshold. So there is a socioeconomic divide. You know, the con- I don't like these terms, but it is certainly the way people uh, discuss it of the privileged minority versus, you know, the underprivileged minority. And uh, Jews and blacks are often put in separate corners when mm-hmm. you use those kinds of terms. So. And and I think it still is in a, a funny way we, we're still living with some of that legacy day. I mean, you mentioned Farrakhan, mm-hmm. uh, and of course there was an issue with the civil rights movement. But now you see things like the Women's March and mm-hmm. these new yeah. young black leaders that are coming up. Uh, what's her name? Tamara Makali. Tamika Mallory. Tamika Mallory. Right. The Women's March. The Women's March. Right. So so she's had this big controversial issue because she won't denounce Farrakhan, but still wants to be part of the the Women's March. And of course she's connected to Linda Sasser who's the kind of poster child for uh, new age anti-Israel rhetoric. And and you have, in a, some way, this similar clash of left-wing Jews in America who want to be involved with the Women's March, are not particularly pro the current administration, but are rubbing up against some of these issues, you know, and in this year, society. And this year was particularly pronounced because um, several Jewish feminists actually organized a counter-march to the Women's March. So Saturday was the third Women's March. Um, they've been doing it every year since Trump was inaugurated. And this year you actually had a second uh, march where... Jewish feminists led it, though, of course, all were welcome. Um, and that has created real divisions within the women's movement in the United States because they are not a united front right now. They are fractured. Um, and a lot of this stems from the fact that, and it's unclear to me if this was Linda Sarsour, Tamika Mallory, but when the Women's March platform was more identified, um, what they had added into it were rights for Palestinians as like a core part of their movement um, and not rights for Jews or Israelis. And so this upset a lot of Jewish feminists in the United States. States who felt like we have been on the front lines fighting for this with you. Why are we now being excluded? And also, why are you bringing Palestinians into something when we are actually fighting for more national-based issues, for more domestic-based issues? Um, so there, there is an interesting divide. We'll see, we'll see how it develops. It, it doesn't make me uh, feel so easy about it, though. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's quite a super. Uh, interesting th- moment, I think, around that. If, you, if you're interested, by the way, in, in some of the Jewish feminist movements, check out something called the Zioness Movement, uh, which does a lot of organizing uh, around this. We're going to take a short break. We'll come back. We'll talk about MLK Day in America. 
From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, I'm Benji Shulman and this is the New Blue Review. Welcome back to it on the special Tubishvat and MLK uh, edition of the show. Uh, when we have our, like, days in South Africa... I always think we celebrate our national holidays pretty appallingly, if you ask me. And it's always like some concert somewhere where like some ANC dude stands up and bores the crowd, uh, quite frankly. Uh, occasionally you have a decent memorial. But uh, how do people celebrate public holidays in America and, and MLK Day? I mean, do, do people do anything? Do kids go out and, I don't know. It varies. Um, some, I, I will say, I think parades are a very American thing. We love to have parades. We have Veterans Day parade. You ask, what do we do on Veterans Day? We have a parade. Uh, what do we do on Columbus Day? We have a parade. Um, and at MLK Day, you'll see parades. Uh, but he was also a preacher. So there are, um, for those who are Christian in particular, there are a lot of masses that people go to uh, to kind of commemorate the role he played as, I believe, a Southern Baptist. Um, and, you know, I think I think the day is is more significant to certain parts of the population than others. Um, you know, the NAACP, one of the leading uh, civil rights groups in the United States today, organizes a lot of activities around activism and fighting racism. Um, but, you know, if I'm being honest, I think a lot of people use it as a day off or what we like to call in the U.S. as a floating holiday. So it's a holiday you're not required to take off, but can if you'd like. Um, so who, who would go to work on a holiday that they don't have to take a holiday off on? So the way the floating holiday system works in the U.S. Uh, is that you can actually take it a different day of the year. So, you know, uh, if you have a deadline that you're trying to meet um, and you don't really give a damn about Martin Luther King uh, Jr., you, you might use it at a later point in time. Uh, the the other thing that's interesting is I wonder how much residence Martin Luther King Day has for a group like, say, Black Lives Matter, uh, who are like more on the kind of extreme edge of the of 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 the African American rights movement because because he is seen in some quarters as being not strong enough and far too assimilationist and that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I, I use the term civil obedience over and over again, but he really is rare in that regard at that period of time in the 1960s when there was so much unrest and you had folks like Malcolm X who were much more violent in their rhetoric and action uh, to have one leader who said, you know, we're going to have silent protests. We're going to walk across this bridge and assert our rights without using any force um, was was truly shocking. And I think you have still today a lot of disenfranchised um, African-Americans, Latinos, um, other minorities who it's very hard after you feel like you have been disenfranchised and oppressed for years to believe that civil disobedience is the answer. Um, you know, there is a sense that sometimes violence gets you uh, to the to the finish line faster. But um, that is a tension that exists within, I think, a lot of activist movements today. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, what Black Lives Matter had that MLK didn't have is social media and the ability for young movements like Black Lives Matter or even March for Our Lives fighting for gun control is that they can mobilize and activate in a way that, frankly, you just couldn't in 1968. Well, I mean, that was like the kind of the crucial thing in in, in the Selma uh, march is that Mm -hmm. for the first time you had people taking video and it was going nationally, like white policemen beating black protesters walking across the bridge. And that was one of the things that galvanized the, yeah. the, the community and the population to actually start changing things. Yeah, yeah. We got TV a little bit earlier than you. So these images were on every American television. Um, and it was about the same time that we started to see images of the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we saw our troops being shoot, 
uh, shipped thousands of miles away to fight a war that, frankly, they were never going to win. Um, so, yeah, TV is a key role. And I think now the Internet is magnifies that you can reach far more people. And, um, you know, not every American could afford a television, but every American has data. We take our data very seriously. Yeah, you can't even imagine what would uh, MLK have done on Twitter. You know, it might have been quite interesting. I think he would have been on fire. Like, I don't think he would have been as feisty as Malcolm X might have been. Um, but I do think he would have he would have been like one of those preachers on Twitter. You just would have felt like God is speaking to you through this man. Yeah, that's that's because uh, because that's the other thing. Right. Is is uh, he he was this man of nonviolence, but he also was like a very powerful speaker. Yes, they don't they don't make him like him anymore. Um, it, it, it is rare. It is rare. And I think part of why he was able to galvanize as many people as he did is because of the way he spoke. Mm. Um, you know, if you are a boring public speaker, if you are not charismatic individual, you can have the best ideas, but you're not going to be able to mobilize the same crowds. Um, but, you know, it's like I always say, if I could go back in time to any period of time in U.S. history, I would have loved to see him speak. Yeah, certainly. And if you have the opportunity, by the way, uh, and you've got a layover in Atlanta or something, you can go into, uh, I, th- I think where he grew up, uh, and, and they have a whole bunch of memorials there, including they like to like play the speech out over the, uh, the porch of his old house. Yeah. So it's a uh, worthwhile doing. Uh, yeah, for Frederick, thank you so much for coming into the show today, talking to us about MLK, uh, and uh, enjoy the rest of your time in South Africa. Thank you. That uh, brings us to the end of the show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Mandy for uh, doing the produ- production, Vusi for putting us on the sound, Craig for pushing all the big red buttons, including under a little bit of pressure today. And, uh, yeah, we will be back next week with a special, special edition. We've got an amazing international guest. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Ravonia trial, so uh, make sure you are in for that. I'm Benji Shulman, and check you then.